It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mark Vientos is scheduled to lead off the eighth inning. So let's play our game of here are your options. What do you do? Vientos is 0 for 2. He struck out his last at-bat. Moretta is really tough against righties. You're leading off the eighth inning down by a run. Here are your options. You can simply let Vientos hit. Absolutely on the table. You want to do that? That is option number one. Now you got four guys on your bench, no catchers, right? So you got better offensive options because usually you have a guy like Tomas Nito sticking on your bench. By the way, congrats on Nito. Cleared waivers. He's at AAA Syracuse. We'll see him again, guaranteed. So you've got Luis Guillorme on your bench. You've got Daniel Vogelback on your bench, who we have not seen in a while. You've got Starling Marte on your bench, and you've got Eduardo Escobar on your bench. If I was ranking the four options, really five options, because one of the options is letting Vientos hit, here's how I would rank them. Option number one would be Starling Marte, because I'm not going to cut Adams here. He's their best option. He's their best hitter of those five guys, okay? Starling Marte is number one. Number two, don't, don't, don't hate me for this. Don't hate me for this. Option number two is Option number two is Daniel Vogelbach. And the reason why is because as much as we all hate him, he draws walks. He does. Can't deny that. And when you're down by a run leading off the eighth inning, I'd be really happy with a walk. I would be thrilled with a walk. Now, you then have to use someone else to pinch run for him. And that best option is Starling Marte, which goes back to why Marte is your best option, because why would you use him to pinch run if you could use him to pinch hit? So Marte one, Vogel back two. Number three to me would be letting Mark Vientos hit. He'd be right there in the middle. Like, ah, young guy. Showed you something two nights earlier. He got robbed in the third inning on a sliding catch in right field by Connor Joe. So I put him at number three. Number four, Eduardo Escobar. My last option. The option that makes the least sense is to send up the guy who was in AAA last week and this year has hit 231. That would be the last option. Now, Luis played the night before. He went 0 for 3. It's not like he is showing you that much offensively. How Buck Showalter decided to go with the worst possible option to pinch it down a run in the eighth inning, I do not understand. So let's not waste time arguing about Vogelback because he wasn't even used. Buck Showalter used the worst possible option. Now, Pete, I could see it in your head. You didn't like me saying Vogelback, which is fine. 
But wouldn't you agree that Daniel Vogelback is actually a better option than Luis Guillorme in this spot? Yeah, I would have gladly swapped a couple people around, but Guillorme is the last person on the list. I would not give him the bat and say, go get him, kid. And I don't know why Buck did. Like, it makes no sense to me. And then, and and I'm sorry, if you're going to complain about the pitch clock, I say, no, no, no. This is on Guillorme. For Luis Guillorme, on a one-two pitch, who's been in the minor leagues, the major leagues, he understands the pitch clock. He can't get his bearded ass into the batter's box, ready to go before the eight-second mark. He's got to go down on a strikeout violation, on a pitch clock violation. Like, what are we doing? And and this goes back to something I said to you in March. If there are big violations in June, July, August, I'm not going to be angry at the pitch clock. I'm going to be angry at the schmuck that got called for the violation. And so for Luis Guillorme to go down in that at-bat, which we all expected he wasn't going to get a hit. He wasn't going to get on base, obviously. But for it to end on a pitch clock violation. Oh, Oh, you got to be kidding me. Now, they did get a chance in the eighth inning because Nimmo got hit by a pitch. Alvarez did nothing. McNeil did nothing. They got a one-out double by Tommy Pham in the ninth inning, which was a little bit of a tease. And then Beatty does nothing. And Canada does nothing. And the New York Mets manage in the finale of this series, in a very important game in my eyes, to get Three hits. Three hits. And that's why, like I said at the top of the Rico, we can complain about this aspect of the team and that aspect of the team. And the truth is they're not really good at anything. I think that's clear. Their bullpen's not good. The starting pitching is not good. Their offense is inconsistent. And their defense sucks. And their manager doesn't know when to challenge. And the manager doesn't know who to send up as a pinch hitter. Other than that, everything's great. Like, if you take all that stuff away, the offense, the defense, the starting pitching, the bullpen, and the manager, it's great. But all those things suck. And that's why you look at this baseball team. We are now 66 games into the year, and I don't know anymore how you're supposed to convince yourself things are going to turn around. I, I don't know how you do it because enough time has gone by now Enough series have gone by, enough bad has gone by, where it's not about running out of time. It's not about the math, because those two things aren't true. They have enough time, and the math has not buried them yet in terms of making the playoffs. The division, that's another story. That's, that's long gone. But you look at the team, and you wonder, well, where is it turning, and how is it turning? And this three-game series to Pittsburgh was the cherry on top. Because they have played bad baseball, bad baseball, not average baseball, bad baseball for majority of this year. And we'll continue to keep our fingers crossed because that's what we do as fans. But it is very difficult to kind of picture how everything we just discussed from just this three game series is going to magically change. And that's what's so depressing right now as a Met fan. And I closed my scorebook and Went upstairs after this game ended. I wasn't too far behind. I kind of finished this one at about, I'd say, 5.30, 6 o'clock, so an hour or two after the game ended. And, you know, Jet was asking me a few questions about the team, and I just looked at him. I said, they're not good. They're not good. 
And he asked a question, a very simple question for a six-year-old, but one that we should all be wondering. Why were they so good last year? And why are they so bad this year? And it's a great question. Because as negative as anyone wanted to be about this team, ah, they're not that good. They're not as good as Atlanta. They're not as good as Philly. Did any of us see this? Did any of us think 101 wins to this? Assuming this is it, like this is us. This is the New York Mets. It it is really stunning and it's depressing. Those would be the two words I use as we head up to the Subway Series. This is a depressing time right now to be a New York Mets fan as they lose two out of three to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, I would say the one thing I have an issue with is that it's probably the worst time for the Subway Series. You know, in years past, it's like, oh, it's a Subway Series. Does it still have juice, all this other stuff? But it always does. But, like, why don't you kick us while we're down? Like, uh, the Mets and the Mets fans don't need this type of pressure in this, well, this short series. We, we just don't. Okay, so my one counter to that would be, and, I, and I've brought this year up a bunch of times because there have been years where the Mets have struggled. It looked like things weren't going to go well and things have turned around. Uh, we had that in 2015, obviously, after the Woomer-Flores trade, non-trade, crying, Cespedes trade, and everything turned around. But I mentioned 1999 a lot because 1999 was the year where Steve Phillips decided to cut Bobby V's balls off and fire his coaching staff. That happened in the midst of the Subway Series. So while the Mets lost two out of three to the Yankees that year, the turnaround for a team that ended up going to the National League Championship Series occurred in the midst of a Subway Series. Sometimes the Subway Series, as much as there's pressure, and there is from the fan-to-fan combat that we have, sometimes that can turn it all around. Now, I'm not saying it will. I'm not offering this grandiose prediction. But I almost look at the Subway Series being right now as perfect timing. I I look at it the opposite, Pete, because I think you go into this playing your worst baseball, feeling like it's rock bottom, and maybe that World Series atmosphere that does come along with the Subway Series, and there is a World Series atmosphere. There's a sold-out crowd. There's electricity in the building. I've always admitted that. Maybe not as much as there was in 1997 or 1998, 1999, but there is that maybe that helps this team turn. Maybe Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander getting, I don't think it's a reprieve, but to many it is because it's Mets Yankees, a chance to have that big moment in a big game. Maybe it does help this team turn things around. And if they go out and they win two games against the Yankees and they start to play better baseball, it'll look like that's the case. So I don't necessarily look at Mets-Yankees now with the Mets struggling as the worst thing. Like, I don't think it's the worst thing. And the Yankees aren't playing great baseball either. And the Yankees come in with their own set of issues. It's very different than the Mets. I'll fully acknowledge that. They're in a playoff spot. They have injuries that they could legitimately use as an excuse. We don't, as much as Pete being out sucks. Um, So I don't know. I don't necessarily think the timing of this is all that bad. But listen, do I want to be in City Field if the Yankees sweep the Mets too straight? It's going to (laughs) suck. That's a tough pill to swallow. But maybe a series like this helps turn it around. Now, a couple of things before we get more in depth on the Subway Series. Buck Showalter, according to Newsday, had a team meeting, closed-door meeting, and the way I read it 
was it was after the game Friday, not before the game. Because if it was before the game Friday, boy, oh boy, that meeting looked bad. He should be fired <laughs> based on the performance. But apparently, Buck had this meeting with the players after the game. Now, here are some of the comments from players about what Buck said. We'll start with Mark Hanna. He said what needed to be said. We all know it's not acceptable. There needs to be a higher standard. It needs to come from within. It's not anything that you can point to and say, this is the reason or that's the reason. You have to dig deep within yourself. Every one of us has to look inside of ourselves and demand more out of us, more focus, more attention to detail. Here's what Lindor said. It's time to go. It's time to stop messing around and be accountable. He said many good quotes that resonate with me and with my teammates. It's time to evaluate ourselves and look at ourselves in the mirrors and just put it together. Put it together and get going. Uh, I'm glad he had a meeting. I hope he was negative and ripped everybody a new ass. Like, I think that's a good thing because sometimes the ease, the nice, easy love, the I'm proud of you after getting swept by the Braves rhetoric doesn't work. Sometimes you need to be the bad guy. Sometimes you need to say what's obvious. Even though everybody in that locker room probably already knows it, sometimes it needs to be said, hey, you guys suck. Hey, get your head out of your asses. Now, how did they respond to that? Even though they won Saturday, I don't think they responded that well because their defense wasn't good on Saturday. The head remained up their ass on Saturday, and they certainly didn't come out and play all that well on Sunday. So I'm glad the meeting took place. But as of right now, we do not have great early returns on, I don't know, the results of the meeting. But I think it was important. Team is not playing well. Rip him a new ass. Now we have Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen did an interview with the New York Post in which, look, all he did was basically reassure us as Met fans that while he cares, and he's not happy that the team is playing badly. He's committed to spending and spending until the farm system can develop enough players where they don't have to go out and buy free agents and that he's not one to just blow it up because of a bad start. And, and, and as much as there are going to be Met fans who are going to read Cohen's comments or hear Cohen's comments and say, that's not good enough. I want this. I want that. He's right. He's right about a few things. First of all, Blowing it up off of a 31 and 35 start is not smart. That's George Steinbrenner. That's the bad of George Steinbrenner. The bad of George Steinbrenner is that he went through managers like it was water. And that rosters that sometimes were flawed, he would blame it on the manager. Let's bring in a new voice. That'll change everything. I don't necessarily think that's always the answer. So for him to say, I'm not one to just blow it up when we're struggling, look, there are going to be times to blow it up. There would be times in which you say, hey, fire the manager. Hey, we got to change everything. I don't think right now is the time because there ain't much you could do other than fire the manager. Can't change the entire roster. And he's right about something else, which is why they need to develop players in their farm system, which is when you go out and buy free agents, more times than not, it doesn't work that well. Like, we could all kill Verlander and kill Scherzer. There were not a lot of better options based on results right now. Carlos Radon hasn't thrown a baseball yet. And Steve brought that up. He's right. Jacob DeGrom, I love the guy, and I feel bad for him, had Tommy 
John surgery. That did not work. So I think what we're seeing is another reason why you have to develop guys in your system. And I think position player-wise, they have. That's why I remain steadfast that this lineup, while it sucked on Sunday and has been wildly inconsistent, I think their lineup will eventually be okay. And they've developed guys that way. Pitching-wise, they have nothing. The cupboard is empty. Hence why they decided to go out and rely on aging veterans in this rotation. Not just Verlander and Scherzer, but obviously the other veterans in this rotation that they're relying on. So for anyone who wanted Cohen to come out and be Steinbrenner and threaten jobs, I get get why you want it. I get why the red meat makes you feel good. Give me blood. I don't think that blood does a damn thing, in my opinion. So were you annoyed with what Steve had to say, Pete? Are you content? Are you happy? Uh, What's your thoughts? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I wouldn't say I'm happy. I wouldn't say I'm ecstatic. Um, But I will say this, and it's it's like a double-edged sword when it comes to Billy Epler, too. It's kind of like a pass to him with what Steve Cohen said because Billy Epler, he's not going to be able to make trades because he's not going to give up prospects. He's not going to have that opportunity to go make a big splash. So this is – I think you said this last podcast. This is the team. This is what we have. We're we're not going to get much better than this. So they just got to find a way to turn it around. And and if that for that, there's not much you could do. You could fire Buck, but that, that's not going to really help anyway. That's the problem. This is it. the The strategy right now is hope. <laughs> that that's pretty much it. Igor wrote a great email to the Rico B at gmail.com. I want to read every word of it because I think it's detailed, it's researched, and I think it's fascinating. And it goes into a deeper detail on something we talked about earlier with Mark Viento. So, Igor, the floor is yours as I read your email. What they've done to Vientos is insane. Here's how crazy it is. Vientos played against the Tampa Bay Rays on May 17th. Had a huge home run to tie the game. The next day, May 18th, benched. He plays on May 19th and has a clutch RBI single in extras that helps them win the game. There's no game on May 20th. On May 21st, he plays the second game of a doubleheader. There's no game on May 22nd. On May 23rd, he only gets two at-bats and is subbed out for Vogelback. On May 24th, benched. On May 25th, benched. He's used for one at-bat as a pinch hitter. May 26th, benched. Used for one at-bat as a pinch hitter. So let's summarize. He's on fire, killing righties and lefties in the minors. He gets called up, and first game hits an enormous home run everyone thinks will turn the season around. From May 17th to May 26th, that's 10 days, Vientos starts only three and a half games. 
That is absolutely insane. In 10 games, he gets a total of 15 at-bats. 15 at-bats in 10 days. It is complete and utter malpractice. Igor brings up an amazing point, an excellent point. The handling of Mark Vientos has made no sense. None. And even now, with Pete Alonso on the injured list and another slot opening up, for him to get an opportunity to get at-bats, he is still being blocked out. Now, again, on Sunday, or I should say Saturday, it worked. Like, I'll admit it. Tommy Pham hit. Mark Canna hit. So the results worked on Saturday, which makes you say, yeah, it's fine. But it's not fine in developing this kid, in seeing what he is. We have now seen what Francisco Alvarez is, and it's damn good. He is not only the catcher for this team, he may be the all-star for this team. And it's on the table. Now, I want to make something very clear. Pete and I are very familiar with the subject, so we're going to just nip it in the butt right now so that there's no debate about this. Do not tell your friends or call up Sports Talk Radio and say Francisco Alvarez can win Rookie of the Year. He cannot. All right? Corbin Carroll will win Rookie of the Year. It's not a knock on Francisco Alvarez. It's just that that ain't happening. So let's just stick with he may go to the All-Star game. He's awesome. But it happened because he played. Now, Brett Beatty plays just about every day, and he hasn't taken off. Like, we'll admit it. We'll raise our hand. Beatty still has a lot of work to do. His average is hovering around 230. But when you call these kids up, you have to play them. And I think Igor brings up a great point. It was malpractice and has been malpractice on how they've used Mark Vientos. Not fair to him at all. Igor nailed it on the head. And still to this day, like, I just, I don't understand what, how do you bring up the kids and just have the goal to sit there and sit them when everyone is anemic? Everyone's anemic and you have a guy that, like, was killing it. And let's just bench him again. So it's like you're, you're damaging him, but also you're not helping the team out either. You're giving more shots to Guillaume. Yeah, it, it's... It sucks because I think we all wanted Vientos up here, but you can't play him like this. It's not fair to him. You know, most kids who come up are not going to learn and produce if they're playing in that kind of sporadic kind of way. Andrew Wass writes, I'm sitting in Pittsburgh in the bottom of the eighth inning, and I thought maybe I'd been hit in the head by a foul ball and knocked unconscious. Luis Guillorme just came in the pinch hit for Mark Vientos. Please make it make sense. Then, of course, he strikes out in the worst possible way. A pitch clock violation. Whatever they did when they demoted him clearly broke Luis Guillorme because he can't field and he can't hit. He can't even get in the batter's box. WTF, Andrew. Uh, let me defend him defensively. That was a transfer play. A transfer play, I tell you. <laughs> Howie writes, Evan and Pete, say what you want about how inconsistent Kodai Sang has been. He has still been the Mets' best pitcher this season, and he's also adjusting to the MLB, a completely new language culture. Howie's right. Like, we sit here 66 games into the year. Who's been the Mets' best starting pitcher? Like if you had to answer that question, how is it not Kodai Senga? It is, right? 
Yeah, no question. It's, de- it's difficult. I think a thousand percent. It's just not that great, though. It's been so st- still inconsistent. Yep, no doubt. Dan Gavin writes, uh, they find ways to lose. Big fan of the podcast. Uh, unfortunate, pathetic sweep in Atlanta. The night of the 13-10 loss before listening to the pod, I said to a friend, the 2022 Mets found ways to win. When they were down, you always had a feeling that a comeback could happen, and it often did. When the 23 Mets are winning, not losing, you always have a feeling they're going to blow the game. You hit the nail on the head. The team finds ways to lose. The second half of the episode largely focused on what, if any, solutions could come from this. I'm losing patience with Buck and Epler, though I do blame Epler more than Buck for a negligent bullpen and lineup construction this season. Andrew Chafin was available all offseason. Vogelbach and Vogelbach and Ruff obviously didn't get us where we wanted to be, and putting all the stock in the rookies to make the difference in the lineup was always a risky bet. But for all the problems, I think Jeremy Hefner isn't talked about enough, either on the pod or in the media. Hefner has overseen a dramatic decrease in production in the Mets rotation and bullpen. McGill and Peterson have taken dramatic regressions back to worse play than we've ever seen from either of them in a year we needed them both to take a step forward to join the rotation. He needs to be answering for these problems, not necessarily Buck or Epler just yet. Good point by Dan. We talk about changes and what can be made. And I've brought up the coaching stuff. I've brought up the 99 comparison of what Steve Phillips did with Bobby Valentine. The regression pitching-wise, which I think we'd agree is their biggest issue. Like, their biggest issue is their starting pitching has been some of the worst in Major League Baseball. Their bullpen has been some of the worst in Major League Baseball. Obviously, with Verlander and Scherzer, you can look at age. You can look at health. With Carrasco, you can look at age. You can look at health. Senga's making an adjustment. Quintana hasn't pitched. But Tyler McGill has gone backwards. David Peterson, more than anybody, has gone backwards. So you can't fire an entire rotation. Do you start to look closer at Jeremy Hefner? Look, if they announce tomorrow, they're making a change at pitching coach. Now, the problem is, who's the replacement? And is it actually going to make any kind of difference? And does that guy have a past relationship with all these arms that need to improve? It may be more symbolic than anything, but I totally get Dan's point about the failures of Jeremy Hefner. Let's get to the rotation in terms of how it's handled over the next few days. So they don't play Monday. They don't play Thursday. Tuesday will be Scherzer. Wednesday will be Verlander. The Yankees will counter in all likelihood with Severino and Garrett Cole uh, for Tuesday, Wednesday. So great pitching matchup. Should be a lot of fun. Then for the weekend against the Cardinals, here are your options, and I'll tell you what I would do. On Friday, they've got three options. They've got Kodai Senga on five days rest. That's an extra day. They've got Tyler McGill on six days rest. That's two extra days. Or they could bring back Carlos Carrasco on regular rest. The Mets have not thrown a lot of their starting pitchers on regular rest. To me, because I want to win baseball games, and I think the regular rest thing can be completely overrated, Carlos Carrasco, to me, should pitch Friday night. Number one, after the way Senga struggled on his first normal rest game, I understand it, and I think within reason, you will look to find ways to pitch Senga with an extra day or two. Obviously, Senga already has an extra day, but if he pitches Friday with the Mets playing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that would mean Senga would have to come back on regular rest for a game against the Astros. I'd prefer not. 
So I would go Carrasco Friday on regular rest. Your options for Saturday would be Kodai Senga with six days rest, Tyler McGill with seven days rest. I'd go with Senga. Senga would pitch Saturday. Then I'd bring Scherzer back on Sunday on four days rest and Verlander back on Monday against the Astros on regular rest. This allows you to pitch Carrasco on Tuesday and then McGill on Wednesday, and you could push Senga to the Philadelphia Philly series. That's how I would do it. Push McGill back because despite how average Carrasco was in the game on Sunday, if I'm ranking who I want to see less of, the guy I want to see less of right now is Tyler McGill. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I get it, but you're, you're expecting Scherzer to t- do a quick turnaround. You said, is that regular rest for Scherzer? Regular or, rest. Or, or a, all right, I mean, I guess. Come on. It's regular rest and I can live with that, but. Yeah, listen. It's regular rest. Here's, Come on, I, pitch. They suck. <laughs> They're not good. That's my. That's, that's the problem. Well, who who is good? I mean, they, they, it's not like they've got amazing options here. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see how they handle it. They they actually could, if they want, send McGill down. Though I think they should have already done it. Like they should have done it on um on a uh, Saturday because you don't need him. Like you could go a couple of weeks without Tyler or McGill and actually add another reliever in your bullpen. But they haven't done it the last few days, so I'm not sure that they will. But those are the options going into the Subway Series. Obviously, the Subway Series is set. Like, you know they're going Scherzer-Verlander, but how you handle those three games against St. Louis, another underachieving team, uh, that's really based on how important you think rest is for each of these guys. Remember, the Mets have another off day the following week on Thursday after they play the Astros. So it's not going to be an easy couple of weeks for the Mets. You play the Yankees, who are struggling but above 500. You play the Cardinals, who I'm still waiting are going to get hot at some point. You play three games in Houston against the Astros off day and then three games in Philadelphia against the Phillies. And what scares me about the Phillies is that the Mets have owned them so much the last couple of years. That's bound to change. That's bound to change in an epic, epic, epic way. Ah, boy. What a a fun time to be alive, isn't it? Mets keep losing series. They're under 500. They're closer to last place than first place. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the way we had it all drawn up. It's exactly the way we expected it. Uh, But we do appreciate you downloading and listening as we go through this 162-game gauntlet. You can obviously email the pod, the Rico, be at gmail.com. Appreciate all the emails that come in throughout the game. I can't check my email now during a Met game because now I get live in-game analysis to the Rico Brony email. And so since I'm DVRing a lot of games, now I got another thing I need to avoid (laughs) when I'm DVRing games. Uh, but it should be a fun week. I'll be at both games out at City Field, and we'll do a couple of drive homes. We'll do a drive home after Tuesday's game. We'll be a drive home after Wednesday's game, and we'll give you an extra pod. We'll finally do it this week, reevaluating the offseason and all the moves that could have been made, should have been made, and thank God they weren't made. But we do appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronia. We'll talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia Podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.